Hello, this is Bill Warner with another podcast on anything and everything related to political Islam. Hi, you guys. Welcome back. This is Richard Sachs, and this is Lost Arts Radio. And we have one of our friends and favorite guests back tonight, and that is Dr. Bill Warner, who has been an incredible educational force for many of us for learning about the basics of Islam. And I had read the scriptures of Islam before and not really understood what I was looking at. And he has written a number of books that are really worthwhile for anybody wanting to understand more about the uh, culture and religion and and text of Islam in a way that it's organized, but it points directly to the original scripture. So you're getting accurate, non-biased input and it's, it's, I think, super valuable contribution um, for which he's considered uh, one of the main hate figures in the world at the moment um, for telling the truth. And um, I want to clarify that right off because what, what our objective is here is really simple. It's not arguing about anything. It's just that all of us are okay and we don't have to fight and kill each other. Uh, at the direc- direction of covert rulers that are laughing while we do that, you know, based on our own uh, ignorance of what's really going on. So welcome, Dr. Warner, and this, is, this will be fun. I know it's, it's going to go by in a flash because of the short time, but I think we'll get a lot out of it. So thanks for being here. Well, the better it is, the shorter it will seem. Yeah, that's what I mean. I, I, I expect that to happen. So... Why are you considered such a massive hate figure in the world right now, and how does that relate to reality? Well, when I was a boy, I was taught that name-calling was the lowest form of reasoning. And so what we have is we have people who would desperately like for Islam to be a wonderful thing. And let me say, I'm on board with that. Yeah, of course, everything should be a wonderful thing. (laughs) But... What happens when you read the doctrine of Islam, you realize that it's not a wonderful thing. Actually, it's always two things. There's always a good side and a bad side. Let me give you an example of two hadith, which are from Muhammad. A hadith is a story from Muhammad. Okay. Muhammad said, never, no, what he said was, do not strike Allah's handmaidens. In other words, don't strike women. Oh, okay, okay. Clear enough. Poetic. I love the poetry of it. Do not strike Allah's handmaidens. Sounds good. Yeah, I love it. I'm all for it. But there's another hadith which follows, which says, never ask a man why he beats his wife. Now, which one is it, Muhammad? Well, it's both. And this is my contribution to the scholarship of Islam. It used to be that people wore themselves out trying to discover the real Islam. That is, which of those two is the, is the real Islam? Well, I said, whoa, wait a minute. Everything in Islam has two answers. So what we have to do is, is put our arms around that and embrace it. And I call that dualism. Islam always mm-hmm. has two pictures. Okay. So the fact that you're getting one picture, you say, well, I've got it. No, 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 no. You have to take it all. And like I say, my contribution to the study of Islam is to say, take it all. Okay. It's dualism. They're both true. I think with regard to the hate issue, we want to clarify something up front. I think we both agree that we don't hate any people. No. In fact, I think human beings are incredible. And some people think that they're made in the image of God. And I agree with that on a spirit level. And so we're not here to say who's good or who's bad or who should be hated or loved or anything like that. I mean, some of the highest spiritual beliefs are that there's a way to love everybody, and that's, in fact, what we're supposed to do. So we're not deciding what group of people is good or bad. We're just talking about a belief system. You've hit the key point here. I do not discuss Muslims. Right, or any any other people in, in regard to each other who's better than who or anything like that. Right. So I don't ever, I don't ever, if you listen carefully to what I say, for instance, and I just talked to you about Muhammad. Did I say what he said was good or bad when he said, never ask a man why he beats his wife? I didn't say that was bad. Right. 
I just no, you're just pointing out what's in the scripture, right? Exactly. So this is the most important thing, is that I deal with ideas. I don't deal with people. And yet, so therefore, when people say that I'm anti-Muslim, which the Southern Poverty Law Center has said, that's ridiculous, because I've never stood for or against any Muslim. Right. And I think the issue that it right away brings up, because I want to bring it right down to the, the bottom line of this kind of thing, if you're scripture of whatever religion you're a member of says to commit what normally would be considered as criminal activity, murder, rape, invasion, um, you know, deception, things like that, then you have a hard choice. You're born into X religion, not necessarily Islam, but any religion where the scripture tells you to do something you know is a bad thing to do. How do you handle that? Well, I left. <laughs> that's one way to handle it and, and i think there has to be a, a distinction that that maybe people make at some point between if your scripture tells you to commit murder just as an example of a something normally considered criminal if you say oh i don't think i feel like committing murder right now or killing everybody who has the wrong religion or things like that stoning women to death whatever that doesn't mean that you are against god no. I mean, something that was written was really not good, even if it was attributed to God. It might be good not to follow it blindly, right? I mean, I, well, I know I'm making some assumptions there, but... I think you should question everything. That's one reason I went into science. That's supposed to be what science does, right? Right. And by the way, something I've learned in the current COVID era... When somebody says follow the science, they don't know anything about science. Or, science or they like, do, and they're intentionally deceiving you. Uh, that's true, too. Science is a process. Right. It's not a list of right and wrong answers. And in the COVID era, it's, it's come to mean, well, it's a list of right and wrong answers. The same will come about after COVID is over with climate change. Uh, yeah, that's in process right now. So it breaks my heart to see what we're doing because I'm a reasonable man. Actually, it'd be better to say I'm a reasoning man. And when people, yeah. instead of debate, call me names or whatever, right? I find it to be very sad. It doesn't. Richard, if you all of a sudden hauled off and insulted me, I don't take it personally in the sense of it's Richard talking. It's not me. That's right. It reflects on me if I do that. Right. So real science, uh, and I know this is kind of an unusual thing. Usually we just go over stuff that's in the, the scriptures of Islam and say what the effect of that is, and I think that's important. But it leads to deeper questions. You know, for example, you have real science, which is intentionally forgotten these days because they tell you not to question anything and just to memorize what's acceptable. And then there's religion which tells you don't question anything and um, just believe it or you're bad. I mean, real science has been dropped in favor of a new religion. I guess you could call it scientism or something like that. I think you could. So in religion, too, you have religion and God. And they're not necessarily identical. And you know they can't be because there's all these religions that disagree with each other. Right. As a matter of fact, if anything, there's less harmony within the church. Well, not just churches. Uh, I have good friends who are Jewish. And if you want to hear Jews run down, talk to a Jew. Oh, you mean saying bad things about Jews if they're Jews? Right. That's interesting. Yeah. But a, lot of, a lot of hate crimes have been done undercover by people of the group that's being hated. Yes. Yes. I guess just because they want conflict. It's, it seems like a, well, it, it's, a, it's a lot easier to convince people to fight over things than it is to convince them to get along and love each other. In spite of the fact, for instance, the golden rule, which you've just uttered there, yeah, found in many religions, right. is when you look carefully at our ethical system that we have in the West, it's basically the cornerstone is the golden rule. Yeah, even though the people promoting that for the general public are the opposite in their own activities, but that's true. But here's the deal, but we can judge them on the basis of the golden rule. Yeah, that's if what you I want mean to when I say it's a foundational idea. 
I totally agree. Yeah. So, so the pro what I brought up as an issue is that if you're born into a belief system that says everybody else is bad and actually should what you pointed out over many interviews in uh, about the scriptures of Islam is that basically they say Muhammad ordered his followers that God wants to have the world belong to nobody but uh, followers of Islam and that everybody else should be enslaved or killed or converted or sometimes taxed and kept as a second-class citizen. Those are the exactly. options. Those right? are the options. And now, what by the way, I might add that mo a lot of Muslims don't believe that. No, I know. I have a lot of good friend Muslims, and they're incredible people doing way better on, on many accounts than I am. And most, I don't think there's even one of them that's thoroughly read what's in the scriptures, and that's true of almost all religions. It's very true of Islam. Yeah. I've had Muslims tell me that's not true, and yet here, well, here it is. Right, right. So I don't... <laughs> There's a conflict between what the people are really like, which is all, all over the world, mostly really good people, versus what they're told to do in various scriptural passages that say everybody else is bad and you should fight, or just use deception and kill them to make it simple. Right. And this is attributed to Muhammad saying these things, basically, right on behalf of God. Yes, but we must admit here, that when it comes to violence, and we'll call the Quran Allah, when it comes to violence, there's a progression of violence that mounts up. To really read the Quran, you must read it in the right time order. Yeah, well, explain why that's an issue. Well, it's an issue because if you pick up and try to read it, it's chaos. Imagine I gave you a great mystery book, and I said, Richard, this is a fabulous uh, detective story. But right. Before I gave it to you, I cut the spine off, uh -huh. and then I rebound the book with the longest chapter first and went to the shortest chapter last. When you, to, when you went to read the great detective story, you couldn't understand it at all because it jumped no, around. No idea what's happening. Right. It doesn't have a story in it. And it that's exactly what was done with the Quran. Right. Exactly. So it doesn't have a story in it. So you have to bounce around and... Now, to get this, it is possible to lay the Quran out in a story, which is what I do in my Quran that I sell. Was that a hard thing to do? No, it's trivial. Really? Because the right list, the historical listing of the uh, verse, verses and chapters is well known. So if I gave you the Quran hmm. in, a word, in a Word document format, you'd say, well, the first one is verse... Surah 96, we go through and search 96 and put that one first. Uh -huh. So it's just a matter of cutting and pasting. In roughly 20 to 30 minutes time, you can take the ordinary Quran and put it in the right time order. So how come lots of people haven't done that? Richard, when I started doing this work as a scientist, I discovered that the people who had been studying Islam were theologians, Arab language experts, Arab history experts, I'm the first scientist who ever studied these documents. Yeah, but there are people with common sense who are not official scientists, right? But they don't tackle the job. It's a, it's a huge job to do. Okay. It, took me, it took me five years to do the, whole, the overall job. Just to rearrange the chapters? No, 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 no. After you rearrange the chapters, you also have to decide to go through and decide which of the hadith you're going to use. There's roughly 7,000 hadith. Well, I'm only interested in Islam from the viewpoint of the Kafir, the non-Muslim. Okay. So therefore, that's all I care about. So therefore, if I'm going through the Hadith by Bukhari, which is the most official one, uh -huh. anything about prayer, I don't include. I don't care about how to pray, but I care very much what it says to treat me. So therefore, I go through all the hadith, all nearly 7,000 of them, and select out all the hadith that refer to the kafir, the non-Muslim. Right. But then you still have a problem. Some of these are endlessly repeated. There may be 12 versions of it. Okay. So you have to then take all 12 of the hadith, which are almost the same, and create one hadith which covers them all. Well, that takes a lot of work. But when you get through, you have something very useful. You have something that's easy to read, because people are not going to pick up and read a book that has 7,000 hadith in it. 
Well, when you use that word, when you say it has 7,000 hadith in it, what does that mean? Hadith are traditions. Little stories about Muhammad said. Never ask a man why he beats his wife is a hadith. That's a separate scripture, right? That's connected. The, yeah, the hadith are separate. Okay, so that how long is the hadith compared to the Quran? I don't know for it. I have those numbers somewhere, but I, overall, we also, let me finish here. We have the Sirah, the life sure. of Muhammad. Okay. When you take the Sirah and the Hadith, it's 86% of the text. 14% of it is Quran. I see. Okay. And most people just think the Quran is it. That's right. it for the scripture. Right. Okay. So once you, once you put the, what you do is, or what I did was I took the Quran and I integrated into it Muhammad's life, the Sirah. It's now becomes an epic story. Okay, okay. Every verse is there. Every sentence of the Quran is there. But instead we see, let me give you an example. Muhammad was called a war criminal by the Arabs when he burned the palm trees of the Jews who were date palm plantation owners. Yeah. And, and it was God who told him to do that, right? Yes. Okay. So then Allah comes back and says, what you did was the right thing to do. Right. So what we have here is, when you read the verse in the Quran which says it was all right to burn the palm trees, it comes out of nowhere. You don't know what it means, what it's talking Wow, who's talking about palm trees? So you need when to integrate the three scriptures, right, into yes. one, one continuous story. Yes, and when you do that, everything fits into place. Wow, okay. Wow. That really changes, that changes everything, because I, I would guess, as a non-scholar in this area, that 99 plus percent of people who are Muslim have never done anything like that. In fact, no, they, have, they, they haven't even done it with the Quran. No, they have not. So they they're just, they've just been told by their religious officials, uh, the imams and the mullahs and whoever's involved in the structure, the, what they say the bottom line is that you have to believe. Exactly. Okay. 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 And by the way, Islam emphasis is on practice. As long as you do your prayers, as long as you do your fasting, as long as you do the five pillars, none of which involve heart, compassion, and love. As long as you do those things, that is what the visible part of Islam you can see, Everybody's good with your Islam. And so as a consequence, Muslims are not even encouraged to, to uh, as a matter of fact, the Quran says that they shouldn't even study the difficult parts. Right. So if you do the five pillars, you go to paradise when you die, right? Well, there's a little ambiguity there. <laughs> okay. It turns out you can never be sure how heavy the scales they view Judgment Day as having scales, and your good deeds and your bad deeds. Okay. But nobody knows how that's going to work out. Muhammad himself said, I have no idea whether I'm going to heaven or hell. Really? So even being a dedicated follower of Islam doesn't guarantee that you go to paradise? Exactly. That's interesting. Okay. Discouraging, too, I think. It could be. Right. Wow. So what you had you have to make sure that your good deeds are more than your bad deeds? Yes. Now there are good deed multipliers. <laughs> so some good deeds are worth more than others. Exactly. Okay. Prayer on Friday is worth more than prayer on Monday. Ah, uh, okay. Okay. So there's these really are, these are some of what I call the cult rules. And I don't a... use cult here in in, in a in a bad way. Right. You're saying these are just to be a member of the club, these are the things you have to do. Well, and to succeed, and I mean, the whole point is to get to paradise, right? Yep. Okay. By the way, the weirdest thing about paradise, yeah, the weirdest, is that one of the joys of paradise is you can lay on a lounge, eat beautiful fruit, have sex with beautiful women, but you can also look down and see beneath you all the people burning in hell. Like as in if you get bored and you want entertainment or something. Yes. Okay. Interesting. But to me, that's the, that was the, Richard. That's the weirdest concept of hell I've ever heard. I've ever, I mean, of heaven I've ever heard of. Yeah, it's like having having a monitor in your room when you want to turn it on or something. Right? Yes. 
But who wants to see people? I mean, I'm speaking here just for myself. I remember one time we had a tornado here, and it was in our neighborhood. Yeah. And so I started to drive around after it was over looking at the damage, and I quit pretty quickly because it was just so sad to see people's cars crushed, houses oh, crushed. Oh, yeah. Horrible. So I had no interest in driving around and seeing the misery. And yet here, one of the bona fide bad blessings of going to Islamic heaven is you can look down and see people boiling and bronze. So you, you can taunt them and say, see, I made it and you didn't, ha, ha, ha. Or Actually, like that's that. what they do. Really? Yes. That's what, that's what it's describing people doing? Yes. Huh, interesting. I find it more than interesting. It's like, ooh. Yeah, I guess, you know, there's all kinds of versions of uh, the place that you want to go to. Yes, but that's not one of them. Are the streets made out of gold or just asphalt? <laughs> it doesn't mention the streets. <laughs> okay. Some people think that's an important element of the whole thing. <laughs> so. There's a joke which goes, a man was a very devout uh, Christian, and mm -hmm. so he asked God for one favor. And it turns out this man had no flaws except for one. He was greedy for money. Okay. And so God says yes. So he dies, goes to heaven, and has a bar of gold. Uh-huh. And the gatekeeper said, what do you bring paving stones for? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Perspectives change. And this <laughs> all, all of this description of paradise and how you live and the rules of the game and all that, that was all attributed to Muhammad speaking on behalf of God. Is that right? Yes. yes. That's why it was called a prophet. Y yes. Actually, it was more, more routinely called Rasul, which is messenger. Okay. There's a That's subtle difference between messenger and prophet, and I forget what it is. Prophet has the connotation of foretelling the future, and one for one thing. In Islam, it has the quality of having a sacred text. Okay. Okay. But okay. since this, since I only study the, polit the political part of Islam, how it affects me, yeah. since whether you're, if you just announced to me you were a messenger or a prophet, I would go. I don't care one way or the other because I'm not into your religion. Well, but I realize that when you say that, that you're only interested in the parts that affect the kafir, which is a really derogatory term, right? That's yes. like an unclean unbeliever or something like yes. that. Yes. As um, a matter of fact, it's usually called kafir hajjahs, which is filthy kafir. Yeah, exactly. Just so there's no misunderstanding. Right. And, right. And you, when you say you're only interested in the parts that affect the kafir, because that includes you as a non-believer, that actually affects all the believers too because they're the ones who are told how they have to think about you it is i find by the way that i have never and i've had many muslims talk to me and i never raise my voice or for that matter do they right i find that muslims are willing to discuss their religion yeah, they're mostly incredible people, I think. I mean, in my experience, I've, I've met a lot. And and like any other, they're, they're usually not, you know, like, for example, the founder of ISIS, Baghdadi, was a scholar in Islam, right? And, he got his degree, he got his PhD from Al-Azhar University. Right. And he was taking the individual... Uh, scriptural passages in all three scriptures, I guess, because he knew about yes. all of them. Yeah, I've read some of his writings. His understanding of the doctrine of Islam is, is exceptional. But what would we expect if he graduated from Al-Azhar University? But it's, they, they used to write these articles. For instance, they wrote an article in, I think the magazine was Inspire magazine, mm -hmm. on sex slavery. Right. And they pointed out how it was all sanctioned by God and Muhammad. Right. So you can like that or not like that, and I dislike it intensely. For their point of view, they're doing exactly what is in the scriptures. I, yeah, that's what I was getting at, exactly. And so um, they, they attribute a lot of things to Muhammad as the messenger that are pretty nasty, right? Actually, when I started reading this stuff, I said, I'd have burned this. Yeah, I mean, it's it's essentially 
justifying crime because God said it's okay, said it's required. Yes. What, you, what you have to do to non-believers. Consider this. Allah even lays out in the Quran how much money goes to Muhammad and how much money goes to the warriors. Yeah. How the I'm, money's distributed. For instance, buying a horse for a cowderman is the same as doing the battle yourself. You get the same rewards. And when you if you go and raid a caravan and capture all the booty, 20% of it goes to Muhammad. So the Quran not only accepts this sort of work, it even lays out the here's how it works. Right. And so uh, the part that you're describing is gang activity on a yes. very on a high organized military level. Now you said a very important word here, it's gang activity. Consider this. You can also be a jihadist working by yourself. Okay, so you don't need the rest of the gang necessarily. No. So this means what you and I might call a crime. For instance, the MP in England who just got stabbed, we would call that right. a crime, murder. Right. For him, it's an act of jihad. Okay, so it's actually a step toward paradise. Exactly. Okay, and, and this is all attributed to Muhammad, but one of the things I wanted to ask you about, if we had time, is um, do we know for sure historically, other than the fact that you're not allowed to even ask this question religiously, do we know that Muhammad actually is the one that ordered any of those crimes, or, or is that based on any kind of solid evidence, or what's the situation with that? Ah, now you've stepped off into a big hole. I know, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to make sure and do that, though, because we never really looked at that before on air. It turns out that if you read, there's two sets of literature about Islam. There's what I call the mythical literature. I don't mean mythical in the sense of a lie. I mean, it's the grand history viewed from a cosmic standpoint that's permanent. Right. So you have that history. So it says, look, this is true, and that's the end of it. Right. However, okay. when you go to study historical documents written by the Greeks, the Egyptians, the Byzantines, mm -hmm. he doesn't show up anywhere. He's nowhere to be found. More than that, the town of Mecca is nowhere to be found. That's Think about that. So is there somewhere else where it is found other than just believe it or else? Mecca is found in Petra. Okay, in other words, it had a different name or what? A different, it was in the northeast corner of Arabia, not Mecca, which is way down in Arabia. Okay. But what I'm what I'm asking specifically, other than geographical locations, is Muhammad is is supposed to have said some really beautiful things about how Muslims treat each other. I think. Yes. As long as they're not women, of course. But if they between the men, the respect was required. I think. Yes, they're to be brothers. Yes, and he said some things that were not very friendly against non-believers. In other words, it's fine to deceive and kill them and little details like that. It's, it's clear that that's be true. Yeah. So but, uh, let, me, there... let me finish with who doesn't exist. Yeah, go ahead. The first four caliphs that came after Muhammad were Abu Bakr, Uthman, Omar, and Ali. Right. There is no historical record of any of those people. Wow, that's interesting. And they were they were apparently members of this highly organized military gang activity to take over other countries and things, right? Yes. There's another thing that doesn't work. When you get described the rapid conquest by Islam, there's some problems with it. If you're a military, military historian and you look at the battles as, the, as in the myth, the rapid growth, mm -hmm. there's no way that you could do that. That is, if you're a military scientist, you go, you can't move that many men over that distance of time. You can't feed them and clothe them and supply them with arms. But the expansion it, itself does exist and is proven, right? Because you can see that. Yes, happen. but it didn't necessarily, it turns out, come from conquest. What else would it come from? Okay. Let's get into history. There were three, four, there were many forms of early Christianity all hinging on the big question, what was the true nature of Jesus? 
Now, for, in Christianity today, the true nature of Jesus is reflected in what's called the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost. Right. Well, this wasn't true for a long time, and there were many Christians in the early days, at the time of Muhammad even, who do not believe that. They said, no, Jesus was a messenger of God. Does that sound kind of familiar in a strange way? Well, that's what's in the Quran itself, right? But yes, it is. So Jesus was a messenger of God. Well, this is not what there and there were religion. There were religions other than Arianism, for instance, believe the same thing. That Jesus was a prophet, a messenger. Yeah, they call him that, right? But he was not the son of God. Right. Now we need to add one more question and point of view here. Each and every one of the first Christians, without a single exception, were all Jewish. Paul was yeah. Jewish, Peter was Jewish, Jesus was Jewish, Mary was Jewish, Joseph was Jewish, they're all Jews. Right. What happened to them? What happened to all those Jewish Christianity? Well, it turns out it morphed into another form of Christianity, which was not Jewish, but continued to maintain a lot of Jewish points of view. And one of these was the belief in prophets, but not the belief of Son of God. That was the early Jewish Christians you're talking yes. about? So there were other, there was, so there was them and other early Christians who did not believe in the Trinity. So therefore we have, and as a matter of fact, most of the Arab Christians did not believe that God, that Jesus was part of the Trinity. That mm -hmm. is, they were, they were the non-Trinitarians. Huh, interesting. But it turns out to have big impact. We can see this in the Dome of the Rock which is, has a scripture inside of it, which is older than the Quran, but reads like the Quran. That is, it's usually interpreted as to be a Quran verse, but it was, it was put into form before the Quran even existed. And what does it say? Well, it says it agrees on what's normally translated except in three or four places, and these three or four places are critical. First off, let's talk about who an Arab is. Today, we think of Arabs as being in the Middle East or particularly Saudi Arabia. Right. Well, the more ancient meaning, they were the Arabi, and that's simply people from the West, Western yes. Mesopotamia. Okay. So that's who an Arab was. They did not speak Arabic. What did they, they speak? They spoke Syriac. Huh, okay. Now, what's important is, is that the inspiration is that if you read the inscription around the Dome of the Rock in Aramaic instead of Arabic, it has a lot of different meanings. So what, what's the bottom line of all that? What's the bottom line of all that is, is that the Dome of the Rock was a Christian, it was an Arab Christian building, not a, not a Muslim building. Okay. This is very important. Non-Muslims wouldn't agree, wouldn't see the importance of it, but any Muslim will, because they've always claimed it to be the third holy place. And yet what we find is, is that the man who built it was a Christian. Hmm. He's called the second caliph, but he does not exist. Everything in history says, no, it was, it was an Arabic Christian. Boy, there's enough to talk about and explore here for weeks, right? Not many. Right. Now, here's the deal. There are two schools of thought with regards to Islam. I'm a member of the first school. I do not read Arabic. I do not read Syriac. So I do not deal with the old documents I can't contribute to I'm, what I'm repeating to you. I had to repeat from someone else who wrote it down. Okay. But what I am an expert at is accepting the document as it is given. Follow? Yeah. So I don't dwell on the Syriac version of the Dome of the Rock because I don't speak Syriac. Right. I don't read Syriac. Right. But I do read those who do read it. And what we discover is, is that the, the first, after the first rightly guided caliphs, the fifth caliph was, well, I can't pronounce his name. It's in the, uh, Syriac. Okay. He's usually called a member of the Umayyad caliph. And no, he was not. He was still an Arabic Christian. His father, the man who finished off building the Dome of the Rock, is also an Arabic Christian. But they're normally listed as the, as the, he's listed as the sixth caliph. So these are very important issues because what they say is the myth of Islam is, is it was all created out of hand. Boom, there it was. There was Muhammad 
and then boom, there's the religion of Islam. But what we discovered from reading historical documents that are not Muslim written is that that is not what happened at all. The, the Quran was written over a long period of time. It was changed in many ways. And the, the other early, early Muslims were actually Arabic Christians. This affects mm -hmm. a lot of things because it violates directly the, the mythical history of Islam. How does it affect the teachings? Well, I mean, since the teachings are based on the perfect word of God and the perfect life of Muhammad, the way it affects them is, is the imperfections there. And so, therefore, a lot of the wind has been taken out of the sails. I'm just saying, what, what does that leave us with? I mean, we don't have any proof that Muhammad said these things, right? So, when, when they're saying how to treat the non-believers, which is not friendly, we don't know for sure that Muhammad said any of that, right? We don't even know who Muhammad is, remember? In history, he doesn't exist. Yeah, it, it's only in the scriptures that his right. story is found, right? Exactly. And who wrote those scriptures? Ah, <laughs> now you're asking a bigger question. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's kind, the, we, kind of important since everything about Muhammad is coming from whoever wrote the scriptures. Get this. The scriptures were written basically 150 to 200 years after he died. By whom? Let me do think I, here. I'm the, do we, we know? know that Bukhari collected them, but he went and he's the man who corrected the Hadith, collected the Hadith. Okay. But he corrected, he found a whole bunch of them and he said, these are, a lot of these are obviously false. So he threw them out. Wow. What we have is a highly edited version. So we don't have any source of text that's not been modified. And what about the Sirah and the Quran? We know the Sirah was written by a man who, the one we have, the original Sirah is not known to us, but his best student wrote a version which we use and is accepted as probably very close. But it was written 200 years after Muhammad died. Imagine you decided you wanted to write a history of George Washington, which is about 200 years ago. Right. I mean, I, but there, were, there were no books. If, if all the books about him were non-existent, I couldn't say the first thing about him. Right. You might have heard some general fairy tales or folk tales. But yeah, and those are not transmitted much anymore in modern times like they used to be. Exactly. So do you see the problem? Muhammad, we can, we can definitely prove things don't. We can prove things that are false. It's very difficult to prove something that's true. And so... Well, yeah, I mean, it, I guess you're talking about proving something is false by displaying a contradiction. Yes. Right? That, that the thing that you're proving is false says this is always happening and then something else shows it's not. Right. But I think this question of who wrote the scriptures is kind of important. It's very important. Mm -hmm. The fact is, we don't know. Okay. We know that Bukhari collected them, and we know that Ishak wrote the Sirah, but he collected that as well. And who wrote the Quran? Interesting question again. Yeah, because you just said who wrote the Hadith. That was right. Bukhari. And Bukhari threw out a lot of stuff he decided was false. So did, so did the Sirah said the same things. There are some things we have not written. Okay. So here you have a historical document, which the authors themselves say we've already edited. So we don't know what the original source text said. Okay. And so far as who wrote the Quran, we have to understand that when you were, use the word the Quran, you're assuming there's only one. Yeah, that's what I assumed, right. Well, that's not true. So there are a lot of versions? Yes, Offer, often differing in small, in small ways, but nevertheless, the Quran describes itself as perfect, coming directly from the mouth of God through the yeah. lips of Gabriel. Exactly. So once you get into the fact that it keeps being diddled around, and, and the older we find manuscripts of the Quran, like they found one in Sana, mm -hmm. Yemen, it's not exactly the same as the one we have today. How old now is they, it? It was roughly, I think, 100 years old. 
No, I mean, the, I mean, you're talking about a hundred years after Muhammad died. Or? Yes. Okay. Okay. But the myth of the but the myth of the Quran is is that it does not have any writers. It How was given it? directly by Allah to Muhammad, and he didn't change anything. Right, but who God. actually wrote it on paper or stone or wherever it was written? Many people. What were their sources? They remembered it. They believed it. They believed it. Okay. Then what happened was these men who knew the oral transmission, a lot of them began to be killed in the battles. And so they said, we've got to write this down. And so they wrote down something. Okay. But we know that it should have never changed, but we know that the more we study the old versions of the Quran, we find that there are differences. Okay. So your question of who wrote it, the correct mythical answer is Allah. But well, the historical right, answer right. is that many people edited it. So God wrote it, and it, that's why you can't question it, because that would be exactly. questioning God, and you'd have to go to hell. Right. Okay, but the other point of view where the person somehow is not smart enough to be terrified of going to hell and is actually questioning it, there's not an answer. Nope. From what you're saying. Nope. Okay. <clears throat> Interesting. Uh, let me say this. Archaeology is very cruel to Islam. Right. And if it's all based on just you must believe this or you're going to go to hell, then you don't need archaeology. What do we find in archaeology? For instance, let's take Mecca. There's been a lot of building work that goes on in Mecca. Right. I know of a man who's, who was raised in the Middle East, speaks native Arabic, mm -hmm. and he was talking with some of the contractors at a business conference. He says, how many artifacts do you find when you dig in Mecca? They said, none. Now, if you go to you, Rome or Jerusalem, okay. Yeah, it's all over the place. If, so, you dig, if you dig a manhole, you're going to find some historical record. So you're saying digging under Mecca shows that it's not that old? Is that Exactly. Hmm. But you mentioned Petra. Petra is that old. The other thing is, if you take, and a man did this, it's called the geography of the Quran. He took and wrote down very clearly everything that referenced geography in the Quran. Yeah. He mentioned of trees, soil, water. Right. He put together a whole bunch of them. Then he points out that not a single one of these attributes of Mecca can be found in Mecca. Not a single one. But if you go to Petra, every single one of them is clearly seen. Wow. So do we know how old Petra is, roughly? It was, it's a Nabataean, Nabata, I can't say it. Well, is it Nabatea. like 1,500 years, 1,400 and something years ago is when Muhammad was at his height, I guess, right? 600, right. 600 it predates that. It's, it's older than that. And yes. Okay, okay. And what's interesting is we also find the same is true in what's called the Qibla. The Qibla is the direction of prayer. You're supposed to pray facing Mecca. But it turns out that the earliest mosques did not pray, did not point to Mecca. They pointed to Petra. Petra. Wow, interesting. We're almost out of time, but I wanted to ask you also that the change in strategy that Muhammad apparently made from Mecca to, or no, from uh, Medina, Mecca to Medina, is that right? He started in Mecca and he went to Medina afterwards? Correct. After okay, so in, in Mecca, you were saying in previous discussions that he was just trying to convince people to join his new religion that he got from Gabriel, from yes. God. Yes. And it wasn't really getting that many converts. And then, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> he went from Mecca to Medina. And when he was in Medina, he had a different strategy. And it yes. was ba basically... You're free to join or not join. We just have to kill you if you don't join. He preached the religion of Islam for 13 years in Mecca and made 150 converts. Right. Went to Medina where he became a politician and a warlord, a jihadist. Right. And three years later, every person in Medina was a Muslim. Much more successful. 
Yes, thousands of times more successful. Do we know if that, well, I guess there's no way to know whether, <clears throat> excuse me, Mohammed came up with that change on his own or whether it was the warlords that he was talking to that convinced him. I well, guess it's all conjecture, right? There's no exactly. Evidence. The deeper we dig into all of this, the more we find <clears throat> we're not on solid ground. Right. And the, and the historical record is different from the Muslim record. Which and is disappointing the, and the, the historical record is largely missing. Yes. Right. But sometimes archaeology finds it. For instance, the archaeology of discovering which direction are the early Keeblas pointed to Petra. We can do work like that. Right, right. We can read the inscriptions on the inside of the Dome of the Rock, which was written before the Quran. And do you remember basically what, what it said on that, on those inscriptions? Yes, I do. It basically says that the Trinity is false. That's, that's, that's the key purpose of its being, that the Trinity is false. Okay. And that, what is the rest of it? I've got it written down on notes, but I don't have them in front of oh, me. That's okay. Interesting. And, and do we know who wrote that? Yes. The second Umayyad Caliph, who was not an Umayyad Caliph, but a Christian, his name is Abed Ben... Just a second. Okay. I've got it right here. He pauses for changing screens. He was an early Arabic Christian. Yes. Okay. Muawiyah. And he called, him, he called himself commander of the uh, protection providers, is what he called himself. He never called himself a caliph. So he was a caliph and also an early Christian. He was, no, he was, he, was not a, he was not a caliph at all. He was just an early Arab Christian. Okay. See, what I'm bringing here to the table is, is that we're going from the normal view of Islam to what can be historically shown. Right. So you're saying that we don't really know the validity of the succession of caliphs. We do know. It's just that the first two we name wrong, we call them Muslims when they're actually they're Arab Christians. Wow, that's interesting. See, this, this, the, the whole bit, and by the way, this explains how rapid conquest could come about. Once you start telling a man who's an Arab Christian that basically we're just going to slightly, slightly change things, you're now Muslim, if life is good for you. And it can happen rapidly because it's not a matter of conquest, it's just a matter of conversion. Yeah, that's a really important point that I wasn't actually understanding you're making. You're saying this rapid expansion of Muslim territory, which we know is true, right? It did expand. It did expand. But to conversion, not conquest. And what was the motive of conversion? Better power. You have more power if you become because if you join us. The, right. So they united all the Arab because the Arab Christians were all in different groups. So he he brought whoever the quote Muhammad was brought these people all together. But you have to change your belief to join the group, right? Not much. The key thing is you still don't believe that Jesus is the Son of God. That was the key question. You have to not believe that he's the Son of God, right? Right. Join, there is no trinity. That's what's written on the Dome of the Rock. Do so you're saying they believed that already? Yes. So when did they start believing that he was the Son of God or, or getting back to that? Well, that was the Byzantine Christians and the Catholics. They believed when? that. When? This was about, let's see, 600, roughly 500 A.D., roughly 400 A.D. There were all these big council meetings to declare the true nature of Christ. This is okay. not discussed much with Christians anymore. The, and was that correlating? I mean, we need like hours more to talk about this, obviously. But was that There's a college course here? Yeah, exactly. And one that you'd get thrown out as a hater for teaching. But <laughs> are, are you saying that that, I mean, that's a major shift from not the Son of God to the Son of God, and that would correlate to some revision or new writing of Scripture, wouldn't it? Because the Scripture well, clearly the, says the, that He is. Whose Scripture? The Trinitarian Scripture. The one we, the, yeah, the ones we have now. 
Right. That's a Trinitarian Christian uh, Bible. Which originated when? From their first days. But there was always others who said no. For the okay, first two, so three hundred years two, after Christ died, there was an argument over what was his what was his nature. Okay, that lasted for two or three hundred years. Yes. And that was factions of Christianity, basically. Right. But all the factions of Christianity believe in the Trinity. Okay. The Trinitarians so won. In the beginning, though, the, the factions were that some believed in it and some didn't, right? Exactly. That's okay. a big deal. Yeah, yeah, that is a big deal because it's considered central now. Because, for instance, the Coptic Christians were non-Trinitarians. So, so therefore... They... It was easy for them to go from being a non-Trinitarian Christian to being a Muslim. Because there wasn't too much difference in belief. Exactly. And the Muslims were, were more powerful. Did they mention that if you join our group, you have to help us take over the world and things like that? I don't know how much they mentioned to them. Because I'm just wondering if that would have affected conversion rate. Well, Osama bin Laden said it best. People love a strong horse. Right, and so they thought they were joining the winning team, basically. Exactly. Got on the bandwagon. It's a lot of evidence of that now, too. So, but anyway, wow. all of this early stuff is very interesting because, and this, this has all happened in the last hundred years. What, you mean it's being discovered in the last hundred years? Yeah, this whole concept, it was Patricia Crone who first pointed out that Mecca did not exist at the time it's said to exist. And also yeah. pointed out that the form of Arabic that was written that was written in the Quran did not occur in that part of Arabia. Uh, so this, yeah. has been, this has been going on now for, I'll say, a short hundred years. That's why you need religion to say, look, believe this or you're going to go to hell. Well, now let me defend religion here and say that religion also brings in some good ethics. Yeah. Some people. Exactly. And, and if it was all, you know, love your neighbor as yourself and everybody get along and be nice to each other, that would be one thing. But when they start saying, except for the people that don't agree with you, you can kill them. Well, in the New Testament, I don't think you find that. What's weird is right. that some of the things that Christians do that are violent cannot be found in the New Testament at all. That's right. I mean, the Salem witch trials were carried out by Christians as far as I know. Correct. Right. And they were saying, if you float, you're uh, guilty and we have to kill you. And if you sink, you're innocent and you'll go to right. hell. Yeah. By the way, Islam has <clears throat> a lot of these ideas about witchcraft came from Islam. When huh. Islam was powerful in Spain. Interesting. And, and the, the, uh, the people that ran the Crusades in favor of Christianity were not always really polite and friendly, right? No. But remember, the Crusades were a defensive action. I know, I know. Yeah, against original Muslim invasion yes. or expansion. And yes. that gets back to the same uh, mandate to take over the world. Yes. Because God really doesn't want the world being wasted on non-Muslims, according, exactly. according to the scriptures. Exactly. So I guess if you're trying to get a bottom line out of all the confusion, there's a couple of themes that come out of it. One is, look, don't worry about what your level of reason is. Just believe it. And if you don't, you're going to go to hell. Exactly. <clears throat> the other is humans seem to be drawn more toward belief systems that they can fight over than just loving each other. Well, some it is. <clears throat> my mother and my grandmother were Christian. They, were, they didn't lie. They didn't cheat. They didn't steal. They didn't harm anything. The only thing that would harm was a chicken for <clears throat> Sunday dinner. And they didn't want to kill non-Christians or anything? No, 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 no. My mother wouldn't. She'd kill a house fly, and that was about the limitation. Right, right. So humans are left with a choice. You know, either keep fighting and saying that everybody but us is wrong or actually live up to some of the higher principles instead of complaining that there's no world peace because of the bad guys. I'm not even sure we'll ever reach world peace. I'm, I'm afraid my life in recent years has given me a, a less cheerful note about human beings. About the, your view of the probable future? 
Yes. The whole COVID thing has shown me a side of America that I didn't think it even existed. I know, and it's quick. Quicker than you'd like to believe. It, it, it's totally amazing. I mean, in some ways, it's eclipsing what happened in the Third Reich in Germany. I've said this before, and this has nothing to do with Judaism. I now understand Germany in the 30s. Yeah, I was wondering about that for a long time. You know, how no, I, And I'm not talking about anti-Semitism here at all. I'm talking about how you have a strong man who rises to power and how good people do nothing. That's exactly what I meant. Like, how could those terrible, regular, good German people of the 30s see the Nazis getting built up and ready to destroy everything? And they kept, you know, to put it in cliche terms, going to the opera. Yes. And now you have the answer. You just look around. Exactly. And we have the new Jews, gypsies group, whatever the hated group is, is the unvaccinated. Exactly. So I'm, once again, Richard, I'm hated. <laughs> yeah. And what's amazing, too, that's true. I mean, telling the truth is, is being willing to be hated, I guess. But well, what's, what's also eclipsing the Nazi time is that this time it's global. Yes. Yes. People, so, people who tried to escape Nazi Germany, and many did. Had, um, had a place to go. They had a place to go, and I don't know of any now. Certainly not New Zealand, Canada, or Australia. People used to think of those as escape destinations. Exactly. That changed. <laughs> <laughs> nowhere to run, nowhere to hide. Yeah. Yeah. So, the, in, a, in a way, the pressing question more than the details of Muhammad's life is um, how do we avoid the r current rulers succeeding in their plan to bring in a total dark age because it's up to us to figure out how to have that not happen so in the last two minutes maybe you could explain how we're going to do that <laughs> actually i do have something what, what we lack is courage well i'm amazed think, at how many people will yeah. sit around and let the wrong thing happen just in order to be convenient to their own personal life. Or, or obscure I, the truth in order not to be hated. Right. I've spoken many times in churches, and I always ask two questions in a church. How have you helped the persecuted Christians in Africa and the Middle East, and yeah. how many Muslims have you converted? The answer is always zero, zero. And furthermore, there's a fear in them to even doing this. They just want... Yeah. The cancer of mice is killing us, Richard both on Kovoid and Islam and everything else. Yeah, it's trying to be approved of, I guess. Right. Well, I'm not that approved of. It's interesting that th you mentioned the persecution of Christians in Africa, I think you said. Yes. But it's happening all over the West as well. I yes. mean, churches are being shut down all over Canada and, and uh, America. And how come they don't stand up? Um. I've said I, this to Christians in their own church. I says, you're so afraid of offending someone. Have you ever read the scriptures, the gospels? Jesus, Jesus offended everybody who was powerful. Right. Who have you offended? Well, I As think a matter of fact, if you measure your Christianity by how many of the powerful you offend, how good is your Christianity? Right. And, and it's not just the members of the churches, it's the pastors. Because oh, it's, it's, they're almost all afraid of talking about what's going on in the world. Yes. They're afraid because they, they don't want to offend anyone in the church. Or, or endanger their tax-free status either. Right. This is a personal question, personal thing on my side. Just as I think the worst thing that ever happened with most churches was they decided to bind to the tax-free business. Well, get in bed with Caesar, you got Caesar's fleas too. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. So what would you, if people were willing to do whatever you wanted, what would you recommend for them to do and to I mean, answer for this. things? Yeah. You need a group. The number of people who will work on their own is so rare as to be not worth the trouble of finding them. You need a group for people to work with. That's been, that's the next stage in what I'm doing. We're starting 
the Center for the Study of Political Islam International, and we're creating an organization that's a global organization for an international problem. Because what we want is for people to be able to work together. The Muslims work together. The Muslim Brotherhood works together. We have people who are afraid, and so the cure for that is to put them together in the same group so they can encourage each other and get over there and have someone to talk to who wants to hear what they have to say. Right. So we need groups. When I first started doing this, Richard, I thought that when I published my books is that people would be happy to see them and read them and do something about it. And indeed, a lot of people did read them, but they didn't know what to do. So we need leadership and we're, we're creating a, a sort of corporate leadership in order to create groups that can fight against it because it has to be groups, not individuals. So where do people find out about that? You can go to my webpage, politicalislam.com, or you can go to cspii.org slash join us. You can you just go to politicalislam.com. You can find your way from there. Okay. 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 Yeah. And I, I've read most of your books and they're great as far as educational tools. And I haven't found any indication of hating anybody in any of your books. I hate this logic. Well, except for that, I guess. That's great. <laughs> Neat. Okay. Well, thanks for spending the time with us. I really appreciate it. And hold on, and we'll say goodbye in the break here. Thanks for listening. If you would like to learn more, please go to politicalislam.com or cspii.org.